Section 25 of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns. The New Witness, 1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns, The New Witness, 1922, by G. K. Chesterton. At the Sign of the World's End, The Boredom of the Broad-Minded. If I acknowledge here a friendly criticism by Mr. Bernard Shaw, touching a criticism of my own, which was also meant to be friendly, it is not for the purpose of pursuing the political question. I am not sure that I disagree with his second article, or indeed that he now agrees with his first one. If he only means that a serious problem is raised by the British and French use of colored colonial troops, his position is quite reasonable. But it is not reasonable to talk contemptuously of France and her black army, far less reasonable than it would be to talk of England and her black empire. But indeed it is rather curious that Mr. Shaw should talk so contemptuously of black things at all. For the sentence in his article which really interests me, and which I take here as a text for a larger discussion, happens to run as follows. As to pretending that there is any greater difference between French and German human nature than between Surrey and Middlesex human nature, j'ai mes fichte, and I think Mr. Chesterton ought to send fichter too. If I were to say that there was no more difference between black and white human nature than between French and German human nature, I should have disposed of all his complaints about a black army at a blow. But I should also be talking nonsense, as he is talking nonsense. It is his whole point to dwell upon the deadly difference between an African and a European, at the very moment when he forbids me to see any difference between a Prussian and a Parisian. Anyhow, there is a great difference in both cases. If Mr. Shaw is ignorant of it, he is ignorant of a fact. If he despises it, he despises a fact. In one sense, of course, a Frenchman and a German have the same human nature, because they are both human. In exactly the same sense, the black soldier and the white soldier have the same human nature, because they are both human. If I have no right to distinguish between two nations of a continent, he has no right to distinguish between two regiments of an army. But we shall continue to distinguish in both cases, if we happen to know anything about any of them. But though I have taken Mr. Shaw's sentence as a text in this matter of international identification, I do not here make it a matter of controversy with Mr. Shaw. I do not do so because I do not think it at all characteristic of him. He has any number of ideas that are really his own, some of them true and none of them trite. When he compared agnostics, dissecting animals, to augurs examining entrails, he was in a free and refreshing spirit rebelling against his age. Generally the best thing that a man of genius can do. When he created the conventional colonel, who told the new woman that if she couldn't behave like a lady, she must behave like a gentleman, he was really being unconventional. But all this international unity and harmony and oneness, and men being the same in spite of flags and frontiers, is not a case of his rebelling against a convention of his age. In that case he was merely drifting with his age and accepting its convention. 
that convention a cosmopolitan sentimentalism that he heard from a hundred other socialists and anarchists the notion that there is no great difference between french and german is simply something he swallowed in his youth as he might have swallowed darwinism so far as it ever meant anything it meant in socialist circles that there is not much difference between french jews and german jews left to himself he would have been a master of the comedy of contrasts including international contrasts indeed he devoted a whole play to showing the vital difference between english human nature and irish human nature real as it is it is a fine shade compared with that between french human nature and german human nature i will not discuss so huge a contrast but only mention one thing relevant to all that is rational in mr shaw's complaint the french are vindictive and the germans are not vindictive the germans never really enjoy killing unless they are wantonly killing people who have never hurt them they call it being a conquering race now i believe all that notion of there being no national differences is simply the effect of being tired when the eye is very weary it can hardly distinguish between blue and gray and it is natural that it should not distinguish between the sky blue of the french army and the field gray of the prussian as fatigue fell slowly on the modern mind it relapsed into the facile simplification of saying that everything was pretty much the same after all it applied the method to man and woman to adults and children to east and west moderns have long applied it to right and wrong and are on the verge of applying it to right and left it is much easier for a tired man to say that these things are all the same than to see where they are really different it is much easier to say that it is six to one and half a dozen to the other than to work out the difference in decimals or vulgar fractions it is much easier to say that it will be all the same a hundred years hence than really to make up our minds on which side we are to act twenty minutes hence we all say these things when we are feeling slack but there is no particular philosophy or philanthropy about feeling slack therefore i have no respect for the modern unities or universalities and superiorities to all distinctions for i think they are merely a mark of low vitality or at the very best of incipient slumber that alone would show that such universalism is not native to anybody so lively as g b s it is only one of the victorian prejudices from which he does not happen to have emancipated himself i mean it as a compliment to his vitality to say that he is still emancipating himself his second thoughts about peasants and soldiers like his second thoughts about frenchmen and niggers are much more sensible than his first but they do not touch my reasons for remonstrating against loose and violent denunciations of france i never talked about the infallibility of peasants or soldiers i never denied the possibility of peasants having their limitations i never said that a commonwealth must consist entirely of peasants france is a country consisting largely of peasants but if the enemy of france will make a list of all other social types that he thinks necessary besides peasants he will find that he has answered himself when he has marshalled all his hierarchy of art philosophy science jurisprudence architecture and every talent or craft that can exalt the city 
he will find there is not a single one of them in which France has not frequently led the world. All these leaders were not peasants, but they were all products of a predominantly peasant culture, and often actually of a peasant class. But this is only a parenthesis. My business here is with the common modern generalization about internationalism, and I repeat that I have no respect for the man who swallows the world whole, for I believe he only swallows it because he is yawning. In short, there is one thing of which J. Menfique, with all the Gallic vivacity of Mr. Bernard Shaw, and that is the whole of this modern business about there being no real difference between nations, or between sexes, or between religions. I am bored with it, because it is itself only an expression of boredom. I readily agree, of course, that something that sounds rather like it may be a real expression of brotherhood. I not only accept, but I rather monotonously affirm, the very ancient doctrine of the equality of men. That is, the overwhelming supremacy of the things in which men agree over things in which they differ. But the modern humanitarians are not thinking about the things in which men agree. If they were, they would be talking about the real and positive things in which men really do agree. For instance, they would be always talking about the foreknowledge of death, which is one of the most essential elements in the equality of men. But they are exactly the sort of things that such intellectuals almost invariably ignore. Death is a thing which they first dismiss as morbid, and then make a hundred times more morbid by making it secretive. They make fun of the poor for making a fuss about funerals, and will not learn that this is the right way to humanize the most tremendous of human mysteries. Or again, the natural love of mothers for their own babies is really a universal human fact. But when we talk about it, these modern critics always scoff at it as a piece of sentimentalism, and point out the superiority of some sort of clockwork mother or labor-saving incubator, worked by an official. Now, while it is relatively true that mothers and the view of mothers may be the same all over the world, it is stark staring nonsense to say that officials and the view of officials are the same all over the world. When once we pass from the primitive sentiment itself to its place and practical proportions in any social or official scheme, we shall find the widest and wildest contrasts. A man has only got to go and be some such officious official, first in Germany and then in France, to find out the fact for himself. Even in Germany he will live and learn. In France he will learn but not live. I am therefore convinced that this sort of simplification is not fraternity but simply fatigue. It is, as I have suggested, something like the case of dim eyes that can no longer distinguish different colors, or dulled and deafened ears that can no longer distinguish different notes. It is not because the varieties are not real, but because they are too real to be realized. It is because they are too towering, too challenging, too loaded with memories, and too complex with controversies, to be grasped by the very wits of capitalism in decay. The assimilation is really a dissolution, the dissolution of death in contrast with the differentiation of life. It is the slipping back into that slimy inland sea, that monstrous pool somewhere in the dark heart of Asia, which Buddhists call nirvana and Christians call nothing. End of section 25